You're listening to an iFanboy Booksplode. This month, Scott Snyder joins us to talk about Batman Year 100 by Paul Pope and its influence on his own work. Hey everybody, Paul Montgomery here. You're listening to iFanboy's Booksplode, the podcast where we talk about one comic for a long time. It's been a while since our last one, and with all the commotion lately, we thought it only fair to do something special with this one. So I fired off an email with this question. What's your favorite under-the-radar Batman story? Something not talked about nearly enough. And our special guest, the writer of Superman Unchained, American Vampire, The Wake, and yes, the ongoing Batman series is here with us uh, to give his answer. So Scott Snyder, welcome to Booksplode. Thanks for having me on again, man. It's a real pleasure. So what is what is the Batman book that not nearly enough people are talking about? Well, for me, mine, it's a, it was like a clear choice. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever anyone asks me that, or whenever I think of one that I think isn't read enough, it's Paul Pope's Batman Year 100. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that it, it's, it's one of the best. It's one of my, literally, it's always in my top five or six Batman um, stories. I just... I think it's one of the most innovative, one of the smartest, and just it, there's so much about what I'm trying to do in zero year that was influenced, I think, by reading this book back when it first came out, you know, it's really, really, um, it's just really in the DNA of a lot of things that I try and do in terms of not so much the story that it tells, but in terms of its, um, in terms of its daring and, and, uh, its boldness and, how complete a vision it is and how much um, uh, what the homage that it pays to the past and the early sort of the earliest sort of iconic Batman moments. And this was actually, and, and you're right. This isn't under the radar Batman book because I hadn't read it. This was the first that I read it after you told me about it. I mean, I knew of it, but I hadn't read it yet. And I don't know why I was avoiding it. And also Connor hadn't read it yet. Really? Uh, I was talking to him about it. He hadn't read this one. Um, and we, and what'd you guys think? We love Paul Pope. I can't speak for Connor. Connor's, Connor's away, but, um, uh, I will tell you, well, let's, let's, let's give an introduction to sort of what this is. This came out in 2006. It was a four issue, uh, comic book miniseries. Um, and you can go out and grab it in trade paperback. And it wasn't, you know, totally under the radar because it was celebrated a bit. Uh, it won some Eisner awards. Uh, yeah. it won for best limited series and best writer slash artist. Um, but this is, this is Paul Pope going all out, uh, with great color by Jose Villarubia. Um, and, it's, I, you know, I'd put it up there with like, you know, uh, a Batman year one where it's like, it feels like, you know, this, this very clear vision and it's not, um, encumbered by a lot of continuity. And one of the things I really like about this book is that it just throws you right into the lake and yeah. you have to, you know, start dog paddling your way out. And, um, this is one of the best openings to a Batman story. I totally agree. In fact, like the second section of there's there's two big homages to this in what we've done so far. One, the motorcycle in issue zero um, that Bruce has. Um, okay, I wrote, yeah. I, I emailed Paul saying, "I hope you don't mind. This is an homage to you." <laughs> Clearly, there's a motorcycle that hangs from the um, ceiling, and he says, "Bruce says valet," and the motorcycle spins down and opens up. Because it was that was one of my favorite things in the book, just as a small point. But also the opening of the second section of Zero Year, and I, ha- I haven't really said this anywhere, but the um, 
takes place, you know, um, in a very changed Gotham, but it, the it's sort of straight up action Batman running from the police, you know, and the first Batmobile and all that kind of stuff. And it's really inspired in a lot of ways by scenes from this, just because that, and those scenes are the opening, essentially, just like you're saying, the book just throws you right into the middle of this incredibly kinetic um, action sequence that uh, with Batman desperately trying to get away from the cops. And um, the thing, if you haven't read the book, um, let me uh, I guess I'll set it up for you. Um, it's a dystopian. The reason it's called Batman Year One Hundred is it takes place in in two thousand and thirty nine, um, and really what it does is it focuses on um, uh, this mystery where this federal officer has been killed um, mysteriously, and Batman is blamed, and Batman barely has been seen um, in a long, long time, and people have kind of resorted to thinking he's this urban legend and that he doesn't really exist. And um, Commissioner Jim Gordon, who had a new Jim Gordon, the great grandson. Captain Jim Gordon, actually. Yeah, right. right. The the great grandson, I think, of the original Jim Gordon, Mm -hmm. um, sort of uh, is called upon to tell the feds what he knows about Batman and he doesn't know anything about Batman. And the sort of twin investigation that he makes into Batman and into this murder um, and the investigation that Batman's making into it. sort of open this whole question of whether or not Batman is, you know, uh, is Bruce Wayne and has been in the city. Cause for the thing is what Gordon discovers is that there's files dating back to 1939. And one of the brilliant things about the book, I think is that it, the files that you see are, are sort of are actual references to comics that came out at that time. So like the 1939, you know, image in the papers that they, they find of the Batman of Gotham's, mm-hmm. Um, reminiscent of the cover of Detective 27, you know, the first time you saw him and they mentioned that he fought, uh, there's a mention of him fighting Dr. Death, you know, in the files. And that's the first villain he actually fought in Detective Comics. Um, So there's a lot of clever things like that. But the bigger question, which I think is just, you know, really, really compelling in the the story is um, who, who's under the mask? Is it really Bruce Wayne? Um, and what you realize as the story goes on is that it doesn't really matter, you know, if it's the actual Bruce, if it's a clone, if it's someone else that's calling himself Bruce or what it is, because the city will always have a Batman and that Batman will always bring justice, you know, to, to Gotham in a way that only he can. And it's a great conspiracy story too. And, you know, it, it shows that it, it, it does what year one does. And, and that again, this is the, the second section of zero year is all about, um, and again, I said it, but it's all about sort of the bonding between Jim Gordon and Batman. Um, and this book, I think just like year one, then year 100 is about that relationship, you know, again, because I really feel like that, you know, that's, and Batman begins too. It's like, you know, you tell these Batman origin stories, part of it is, is really about, you know, the, his one ally, you know, before there's a Robin or anybody and mm-hmm. that's, that's out there in public fighting the fight with them. And that's Jim Gordon. So that's kind of my, my description of the book uh, story-wise visually. It's just stunning. I mean, I think one of the reasons it's under the radar a bit is that Paul's art is so striking at first, you know, it's almost like liquid and it looks, it looks uh, it's very, it's cartoony, but it's also really gritty where Batman feels more human, I think, than in anything you'll see except for year one where his boots, you see the, the laces are meticulously drawn and the, the belt has 
you know, the, every buckle is, is articulated and, you know, you see him using wires and clips and he's sweating and panting and he's, he's really, <laughs> you really feel him as a person. Yeah. And secondarily, it's also a beautiful book in that it has this kind of Blade Runner-ish um, um, dystopian future that's almost sort of, you know, this crazy pop culture, almost sort of like, you know, Tokyo looking Gotham in a lot of ways. And um, so it's a wonderful blend in my opinion, uh, visually where it has that matches what the story is about in the way that it's an origin story. And it feels like a year one that takes place in 2039 with all of these fun sci-fi elements, um, both in terms of the way the story is told and it follows that kind of template that we're used to, which is his, the formation of his, his relationship with Gordon and, you know, the city learning who he is learning, you know, that there is a Batman and all that. And, and visually it matches that too. And that, there are all these homages, you know, to the early, um, to the very, very early Batman stuff. And the costume that Paul designed really is reminiscent of the original Batman, um, Bob Kane design with the gloves and the, you know, which we use in Zero Year Two, but the, um, the gloves and the, the, the boots and the sense of the cape being separated. So it looks like bat wings and the mask being the way the mask was in the original. And, and yet it all happens in this really high tech, crazy world. So it's a great blend of like class, super classic, and you know um and futuristic and it's also just a great grounded gritty story you know which i think you don't expect sometimes when you see the art because the art looks so out there sometimes that it's almost like oh is this going to be a very difficult story or is it going to be something abstract but it's not at all it's like a really grounded mystery well let's talk about that that art style and and the the world because it's 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 not just about you know, this futurist idea and what technology looks like. It's also the other reason that Blade Runner is so successful is because it feels lived in. And it feels like that it feels grungy because it's filled with people. And that's what Batman Year 100 feels like. And I think going to the point of how human Batman feels, I think it goes both ways. I think there there are moments where he, he feels human in that he's so vulnerable and he gets he gets really really messed up. <laughs> he's really messed up. Really messed up, and he's and he's messed up from the start of of this first issue. And um, but then there's also how these government spooks see him as this this urban legend, as this almost monster. And we find out throughout the story that he employs these these fake fangs, and he intentionally uses employs theater. To it goes back to the very beginning of of the Batman mythos of you know uh, criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot and um, this book more than so many other Batman books really emphasizes just how scary Batman is. Yeah, I agree. Um, but as to like how human he is, I like that there's also that side where uh, certain people, his you know his um, his allies, get to see him without the mask and get to see him bleeding and broken without all of that theater. It's sort of like, you know, the the Adam West Batman, it's all about the Biff Bam Pow stuff. And that's the only thing, you know, journalists ever use for a comic story in the newspaper. And it drives us all nuts. It's all about Biff Bam Pow. With this, even though there are visual sound effects throughout this book, the Biff Bam Pow is felt. <laughs> like, you don't need to show that stuff. Like, it's you feel the, the ribs cracking. You feel the blood draining from those wounds. You you feel you 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 sense the you know the the, the foaming at the mouth of those dogs in the beginning, and that's yeah. why I love that opening sequence. Um, Me too. It's so you're right there with him, and you hear him panting as he's running across the rooftops. You know, and it's 
it's so visceral. I mean, that's one of the things about the book is it's so grounded in, 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 um, in his humanity. I mean, his physical, his physicality that way too, that he's both timeless and completely human. And I love the mystery going along where it's sort of like he survives all of this stuff and you don't really know, is he a clone of Bruce Wayne? Is he not, you know, who is he, you know, under the mask? Yeah. And I like that because this book, plays with your expectations the whole time because going into it i was like so batman year 100 what does that mean does that mean that it's is it is it bruce and he's really really old and we're we're gonna just go with that or is it going to be like a batman beyond kind of thing where it's an apprentice to bruce you know like terry mcginnis um but it turns out it's it's much more it's um it's more related to Neil Gaiman's whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, which is a story that um, I feel is kind of under the radar because it was at the same time as Batman R.I.P. where you talk about the cyclical nature of Batman as like folklore. Um, you know, Batman might die, you know, a million different deaths, but there's going like another Batman will rise up. And that's also a theme in like Dark Knight Returns, where the idea that Batman transcends the man and it becomes an idea and you have this army of Batman. Yeah. Um, of course, like Bruce is like, the, you know, the, the progenitor of all that stuff. And he's like the purest version of, of Batman. But I like I like this story because. Yeah, he does, you know, Gordon does refer to him as Bruce at the end, and that kind of throws him off. You can see that there's a reaction to that, but we still don't know entirely what that means. Like you said, is he, uh, you know, a son, a grandson? Is he a clone? Is he a guy who's just taken on that name? And it also had me wondering if like if if Christopher Nolan and all those guys looked at this book because because of that scene with you know being chased down by the dogs which we see at the end of um uh the dark knight um and then in dark knight rises you have a character who's actually named robin that's his like birth name yeah. not, not his his alias so i was exactly. curious if they'd actually looked at this yeah that's one of the other things is the sidekicks in the book you know you have you have a jim gordon and you have a robin but one of the things I love is, is there's no explanation as to how Batman is alive. And um, I mean, I think it, everyone that reads it has their own theory, you know, whether it's a great grandson or whatever it, it I don't, I, I wouldn't put my money on any of any one explanation. It actually though, it's funny because thinking back now, like I have a, a short story that I had in mind forever um, that um, since long before I was writing Batman that I'm going to wind up. Um, and I have, again, I'm, I don't know, DC would probably be mad at me for saying, but whatever the, um, we're doing, uh, I'm going to do it as a short soon in, um, in a Batman book, uh, with, um, with Sean Murphy. Um, and it's going to be, uh, a speculative idea of, of, uh, hundreds of years from now, what Gotham is like mm-hmm. in some way. Um, and it really, it, it's, I think what I'm getting at is that I think, and anyone that's right, written Batman for a while or, or even loves Batman and has just followed Batman for a while, you start to think in those terms of how he's timeless, you know, and, and you begin to incorporate that stuff into your story, you know, obviously in the Frank Miller stuff and it being such a major theme in Grant's work. And, and just like you're saying, in uh, whatever happened to the, um, uh, the Cape Crusader, Crusader and right. stuff like that, I, that idea of why and how Batman persists and, you know, there's like the the sort of the literal take in terms of the Dark Knight Returns and he just gets old and then he has a, a new a new generation behind him, you know. But then you see him again in, in other things like the, in, in Morrison and, and, and stuff where and in, uh, 
yeah, where it's not so literal, it's almost more, um, it's almost, they, they find ways that are both story ways, but are also sort of, uh, you know, uh, just symbolic where you, you, you sort of see how, um, I don't know how it's cyclical, how it's, the, I love that, or you, how Morrison, and we tried to do an homage to this and Ziri or the Ouroboros, you know, the notion of the snake that kind of right. eats its own tail, destroys and recreates itself. But, you know, and, and with us, that with this story with Sean, you know, we're going to look at this idea of, of does it's a more literal story and, but it's about, um, Bruce, uh, uh, and how he clones himself, uh, you know, or essentially how there's always a Batman, a Bruce Wayne will always wake up and find himself with an old Bruce Wayne that says, I saved the city and the city was, you know, the city sort of, um, uh, is, is passed through its, its moment of terrible danger, but I'm too old now and the danger is beginning again. So here you are, it's your turn. Um, and it's really short and, uh, but it means a lot to me, you know, as a piece, because one of the things I love about this book, um, is that it's another, it's a different take on that same idea. You know, everyone, I think that loves Batman has that question of what's going to happen when he gets old, what's going to happen when there's no Batman anymore. And you solve it in your own way, I think as a, as a fan and as a writer and all that stuff, you know, do you just have a new Batman or do you just have Bruce again? Or how do you do that? So for me, this is my, my interpretation, but this, um, one of the reasons I love this story so much, the year 100 is that I think that, you know, it cuts right to the heart of those same questions in a different way. You know, I think it's, I think it's really fun and also really smart when writers, um, look at, look at the Batman story as mythology and, there's a bit of meta commentary there in terms of we readers pick up a Batman book and we each have a, a, a different first Batman story or a different internal sense of continuity for Batman and what like his greatest adventures are and how they connect. And um, that's part of the conversation that we have as readers with the comics that we collect and um, either embrace or maybe set aside. Um, and with this, like actually actually um positioning batman as an idea as a thing that has a legacy as this urban legend that it was from the very start um i just i think that's it's a it's a really smart way to give the reader ownership over the character and that can be dangerous obviously um you know with with panels at conventions and things like this isn't how batman's supposed to be but with a character like this, this really is like American mythology. Yeah. Um, this is a character that people have a lot of passion for and a lot of, they have a lot of emotional stakes in and not offering up easy answers. I don't think that's a cop out. I just think that's, um, that's an understanding that everyone has their own take on Batman and everyone has their own Batman stories that they value more than others. Um, and it's saying that all of those are relevant all right. of those are right. There are no wrong answers. On the one hand, it gives you a very specific story. That's this is the Batman of 2039, and you might not discover who he is in the book. You know, under the mask, and you know, he probably is some descendant, I guess, of Bat of Bruce Wayne or whatever. But it's again, it is kind of a meta commentary, and yet it solves it in the literal story. It just doesn't right. give you that information, which I love about the book and. That's what I mean. Like for me, I think with this, this short story I was telling you about, it's sort of like 
you try and how to explain, I guess what it is, is as you, for me at least, and I won't speak for other writers, but you know, loving Batman and, and working on him for a while now, you, you read, I read so much Batman and watch so much Batman on the side all the time, just to, just cause I, for reference half the time, but also just to remind myself of a story that I remember liking or that stuff. So like the other day I picked up Dematis's uh, uh, Absolution, right, which I had read long ago, but I hadn't mm-hmm. read a long time, and it's really good. And, you know, rereading this last year, year 100, right before I read, started writing Zero Year. And what you realize is, like, you loved so many versions of the character that don't match up. <laughs> like, I love Frank Miller's Batman, but it's like a world away from Morrison's Batman, and I love Morrison's Batman as well, you know? You love... Uh, you know, Batman in, in the killing joke. Uh, but, you know, you also love Batman in the animated series and they just have no common ground, but they, they absolutely do at core. But I mean, you, you would know these are completely different characters. You know, if you, if you read one page or watch them, you, you can tell it's different people writing them. I mean, even though at core, they're always the same character and they have certain traits that always make them Batman, you know, in terms of the way they behave and the psychology. So it's, as a writer, you look for ways to reconcile all of that and place yourself, I guess, in that it's humbling is what I mean. Like you see it and you try and you, you recognize that you're part of a long line of people that have done these stories that have inspired you. And if you can tell a story that almost, uh, I guess, you know, tips your hat to that idea, I think there's something really fun in that and really, for me at least, really gratifying. So that's even just this little short that I'm going to, you know, do that's what it's about too. The same way I feel like this story is largely about that, you know, a hundred year, 100, how there's always a Batman and how it might not make sense, how there's different versions over different years, but that's the beauty of the character, you know, and that's what this, this short story is about in a different way. And, and that idea that, um, that you solve that problem differently as a writer, you know, and you come to love the Batman that's yours. And I'm actually going to, again, as I, feel like I'm t- totally talking out of school, but the <laughs> I'm going to um, tie into that vision actually that he has in the short in um, zero year at one point. So I want to cement that idea of this being a possible, a possible future into the actual run, even if it's sort of a vision that he has of something that might happen, you know, mm-hmm. because it's, it's an, it, it, when you do the end, you know, in the beginning, it wants in that way. And I feel like it really, for me, it underscores what, what my, what my take on Batman is about, you know, who I see Bruce Wayne as and the responsibilities on his shoulder and the thing, the things that, that I like to highlight and focus on versus when I first came in, you know, I was sure I was going to write him just like Frank Miller or try to, you know, I mean, that was my goal was to be like, I really love that Batman. And then I started writing him and I realized mine was completely different. You know, I had like a totally different priorities in terms of what I think would matter to him. Like even Bruce Wayne, I mean, for me and Miller, Bruce Wayne is, is, like a is a mask that's what he is you know brett bruce is possessed by this kind of demon bat and essentially is a completely pathologically you know wonderfully heroic but pathological kind of character too where he's just driven um and obsessed and and again that's my favorite stuff is you know dark Knight Returns is my favorite book um but when i started writing him like that it was like you know what i just can't reconcile for myself it doesn't negate the validity of that version because i love that version but I can't negate the idea that Bruce would be civically minded as Bruce or that he'd have to learn that lesson. And that's part of what zero year is about. The first section of zero year two is that 
Bruce learning that it's important for Bruce Wayne to mean something and not just be like a champagne guzzling, you know, cad Mm -hmm. because his parents were public symbols, you know, that stood up against, uh, both corruption, they stood for civic duty, they stood for responsibility, they stood for altruism, all of that kind of stuff, you know, and it's a, it shits on their legacy to be like somebody that's out there as, as their son, just partying and doing nothing. So, so do you think that that is the through line for all the iterations of Batman to have that moral center ripped from under him to be orphaned, not just be orphaned from his parents, but from parents that are such a strong moral center? Is that what is the what is the, what is the consistent thing pushing all of these versions of Batman? Is it tragedy or is it is it something else? I think it's mission, you know, in that way that it's it's his self-sacrificing obsessive mission that is to make sure that what happened to him doesn't happen to any other child, you know, and, and that putting that above anything else, you know, his personal life, anything, you know, to me is the truest sort of version of Batman that you can see in each of them. I mean, there, there are other things that are important. Like he's always, he's the greatest detective, for example, and, you know, he's the smartest and all, all of those things that you need to do to, I think on top of having the, the, deep core straight to, to, to earn your stripes, I think as a Batman writer, and at least in the way of proving to fans that you, you can write, you're writing a solid Batman, I think beyond just writing one that doesn't, you know, veer away from core, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, like getting his voice down and getting that idea that he'll you, making sure the cases are difficult enough for him to solve, but he solves them in, in ways that are interesting and all that stuff. But at core, I think that's what makes him who he is and the animated stuff that he's always there instead of being, you know, instead of having a family, instead of having a social life, instead of, you know, ever being able to walk away, he'll never walk away. I mean, that's why I try, I try and <laughs> I try and imagine like once in a while people well, not once in a while, often people will pick on me about not giving him a love life at all. And I try in my head to be like, oh, you know, maybe I can build someone who's like a real romantic interest. But I just feel like it's always so doomed, you know, always doomed that it just feels like you're doing it to to eventually break it up or doom it or kill uh, the person or something like that always feels or turn them into a villain or reveal them as evil or right. just never feels like he would never walk away to get married and have kids or that kind of thing ever, <laughs> in my opinion, in my version. So, you know, to me, that's the core is that, that American icon, the outlaw, that kind of guy that's almost like, you know, in Shane and Westerns and all of that stuff. That's always, the guy that rides in with no sort of attachments, you know, and saves the day and then rides off alone. Shane is a really interesting example. Shane is, Shane is so mythic, but you also think about that ending and that is, that's a mortal man. That, that guy is, I mean, if you really think it through, that guy is maybe going to keel over and die, fall off that horse at the, at the end, you know, after those credits are rolling. But for that kid, that myth lives on, that myth is constant and it even lives on, you know, in cinema as, as uh, Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider. And I think that's maybe a, a way of, of looking at Paul Pope's vision for Batman and his legacy and how these other other individuals are maybe taking up the torch every few decades. Um, do you think about the accumulated story for Batman as, as you're writing? Because you, you're, you're part of this marathon of this, of this folktale, of this, this myth of Batman. And do you think about the accumulated 
pain and torment to his psyche and to his physical body even um do you do you, do you think about that um in terms of where your story ends and someone else has to pick it's, it up i guess it depends how you write him too like you know and you become more aware as you write him longer of how other writers deal with i guess the the sort of long-term punishment they've put him through like one of the things i love i i think paul dini by the way to me is behind frank miller is like one of the great Batman writers of all time. Like he's consistently has more stories or he has more stories, I think almost than anybody that I adore. And are part of the sort of iconic takes on characters for me, yeah. both in comics and in the animated stuff. And you a know? great range so, of stories too, like different tones and very big range. But one of the things I noticed is I was like watching so much of the animated stuff and then reading a lot of streets of Gotham and things is that he has a great trick where he, he, cause I'm always like, how does he, how does he write him so long and like so many years and so many stories and, and, and Bruce doesn't get any older in it. You know what I mean? It's just, you, you, how do you, how do you kind of circumvent that, mm-hmm. that issue? Cause for me, oh, I'll get it to it in a sec, but I mean, I think the thing is that for him, sorry, just have a cough. the, um, he does a lot of stories from the point of view of someone in Gotham who, who, who has an emotional arc in the story, like someone who stumbles onto something and becomes a criminal or is, is the bystander or the criminal himself. Like the bad guy has an emotional arc. It's almost like a law and order kind of format where the peripheral characters go through a big emotional arc. And that's the the arc of the story. And Batman is there to solve it. He, Mm -hmm. He doesn't actually get really beaten up emotionally in the thing very much, you know? Whereas the characters that um, are around him go through a lot. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Like he gets reset. He gets reset all the time, which makes perfect sense for like an animated thing and for the series. For me, I guess the way I write um, in the comics, at least, is to try my best to really tear him apart emotionally in each arc. um, Because it's that's just the way I approach it is, is to try and make it mean something to me is to explore one angle on who he is and to really delve into it and say, you know, for example, Joker is about the irresponsibility as a villain would see it of accumulating a family and the mistake in that and the fear he has by he's trying to make connections as a human being and have this family when, and he's denying the fact that he does this to be greater than human and to, and they, that these people, these, this real family of villains has turned themselves into these timeless things to honor him. And by forsaking them and having this crappy human family that he sees outside of the mask is to do a disservice to the legacy he's already built. And they make him everything he never wanted to be. And the villains make him everything he always wanted to be. And so you, you try and get in there and say, you know, and I wrote that when we were having a kid and that idea of, you know, you try and really get into the emotion of it and say, you know, God, am I cut out for this? Am I, Am I, gonna, am I a good dad or all that, you know, am I making a mistake and all the things that you, you know, of course, like, you know, you're not making a mistake and you love a kid and everything's fine, but it, the fears that you have at night and that's what with owls, it's the same thing. It's like, what if you don't know the city as well as you think you do, Bruce, you know, and you take away his confidence as deeply as you can. That to me, that maybe that's why I guess like for me at this point in my writing Batman and Batman and Bruce I feel so sorry for him, I guess, also in terms of what he's going to endure in years and years. And I love him so much that way for what he sacrifices. Like he goes out in the city 
after having gone through these horrific things that would break anybody. And he just keeps going out there and doing it again. But it's hard to ignore when you're writing him in a consistent run, the scars that you're leaving on him that way. And I, I see that in Morrison too. You know, you see it, you see him wrap up his run in ways that bring back all the things that he did from the beginning. And maybe that's part of it. You know, writing a character like Batman is that you begin to see your own run as a kind of universe that you've created and then you're going to close down, you know, in some way when you're finished. Um, and we don't have any plans to finish anytime soon, but do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you've, and that's what year 100 feels like too. It like opens a window and then closes it, you know, it's sort of like, this is the world of Batman as I'm presenting it. And then you leave that kind of goodbye moment where it feels like it's, you know, the curtain is going down and you say, these are the things I created and this is what I put him through. And, you know, now someone else can pick him up and he's been reset, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think both what, what you're doing and then in with, with Batman year 100, that it shows how flexible the character is and what you can do with that. And that goes beyond just it being Bruce Wayne or not Bruce Wayne. Um, subverting your expectations and, and an interesting experience with this was I started reading this and I came to understand, okay, this is probably not the Bruce Wayne that I know. Um, this is probably a different Batman given the time frame. Um, I don't know exactly who this is, but this isn't Bruce Wayne. And so that, and, and with the conspiracy going on, it let me wonder is this guy as virtuous as Bruce Wayne was mm-hmm. is, am I supposed to trust this character? Um, does he care about um, his extended family and these people helping him out? Um, does he have the same regard for them as Bruce Wayne had um, for the Robins and for Barbara um, and for Jim Gordon? Um, and that, that puts you in a very interesting place as a reader because you grow up with Batman and you sort of, you know, you know, that chessboard, you know, all of the players and everyone involved and sort of all their roles. And maybe, you know, you know that Jim Gordon could have this kind of relationship with Batman and maybe he knows that he's Bruce Wayne. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's an unspoken thing. That's sort of a fun a dynamic that's played with from time to time, or he has no idea. Sometimes yeah. he thinks he's a menace. It, it, I mean, it depends on what, you know, the time frame is. Um, in, you know, what year of their career this is and, and their relationship. Um, you know, maybe Barbara Gordon is Batgirl. Maybe she's just Jim Gordon's daughter. Maybe she's Jim Gordon's um, foster daughter or niece. Um, but you kind of have this basic sense of who everybody is and how they interrelate. With this, everything goes out the window, and that's really exciting. Um as it turns out, spoilers, he is a pretty good guy as Batman. <laughs> um, he is a hero. Um, but he does have different relationships. And that kept me on edge through this story. Um, and that's kind of the interesting thing that you can... I mean, there's Batman and then there's only a couple of other characters, you know, Superman, um, that you can do that with because they're such a part of culture and, and part of our... American mythology. Yeah. Um, and and I, yeah. I, it's wonderful to see the pieces fall into place in year 102 yes. where they begin to sort of coalesce the way you know them, you know, where it's right. like, 
some things i love how much is unexplained as well like you don't know who robin is in it <laughs> like he's just robin mm-hmm. and you don't know who these two people helping him are either these two women i mean there's there's not a lot of explanation to that as to why they are there like why they're the one why the, this woman is the one helping him you know um but at the same time it has this kind of echo of these iconic relationships and and his relationship to Gordon as it forms becomes the one we know, you know, and his relationship to the police becomes the one we know. And, and, you know, he has the relationship with the kind of, with the Robin character. That's the one you expect. And it's almost like watching the pieces become what you want them to be, even as they're sort of different and fun. It's the, it's the beauty of seeing even like as Batman beyond is one of my absolute favorite Batman mm-hmm. iterations, you know, and even seeing the pieces fall in there where Batman has an Alfred, but his Alfred is Bruce. You know, right, and right. Stuff. But it's him out there alone and the villains form around him and the city changes to him and all of that stuff. To, to see it even happen in a book like in – a, in a show like that where the pieces are so different but the mythology then sort of falls into place, you know. The things that you need to make it Batman fall into place. There's just something so – exciting and wonderful when that happens when you're like okay here we go that's bad you know like that's it's a new take but i see the things i love at core someone devoted to the mission of saving the city and saving people from going through what they went through having that kind of you know that beautiful sort of obsessive quality that's almost pathological as much pathological as it is as pathological as it is heroic you know that that wonderful sort of dark, you know, terrifying persona, but also the sense of how they're inspiring young people and, and I mean, people in the city to sort of know that someone's looking out for them and to be strong and all of that. And, you know, they have the Alfred of some kind, whether it's Bruce or a hologram or Alfred himself or, you know, whether Alfred, you know, ever goes away and it's somebody else in that place, you know, it's just, when you see those pieces click into place, there's something, I just feel like you feel it in your gut where you're like, Oh my God, it's Batman. I love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, it's such a, it's such a strong foundation that you can break it out piecemeal and it still works because we have a sense of where the pieces went and we're captivated by new configurations. Yeah. And there's just some things you feel like you, you know, when it's off too, you know? Yeah. If it's like, oh, he has a wife and it just, no, it's not going to work. Wife and kids, you know, or it's not that no one could write that story. I'm sure somebody could, you know, in some way, but there's just a core where he's like the lone dark night, you know. And that's there's it. some element of tragedy involved, even with Terry McGinnis. Right. It, well, exactly. Especially in that epilogue where you, when you learn more about his whole case, you know, and if anyone ever, if you ever, anyone, if, if you love Batman Beyond and you don't know, the epilogue to that series happens in, a, in Justice League. Right. In Justice League Unlimited, right. right? Yeah, it's called Epilogue. <laughs> with, uh, with Amanda Waller and it's kind of Cadmus crazy. and all that. Yep, it's yep. great. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it, but it's just great. It's great. I'm, I just find it wonderful that there's so many different versions and they're in continuity somehow too, even if they conflict with each other. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, think it's, I think it's almost a part of Batman's continuity that there are continuity discrepancies. Like he's supposed to be an urban legend. He's supposed to be mythic. So – Everybody should have there. There should be some discrepancy as to what really happened and, and how it worked out. So I think it. I think tonally that fits. That you can. 
you can say this, you know, for you yourself as a reader, this counts or that doesn't count or like this is this yeah. is more important. This is more vital to me. And don't get hung up on all that other stuff. That's what I love doing. I mean, and I totally understand people that feel like I read this book, Batman, for years and years, and it should be one solid cumulative you can't, thing. It's impossible. You can't. But do that. I mean, that's like, that's one of the things I love about Year 100 is it addresses that by, you know, having a Batman who has existed every decade since 1939 and you, no one knows in the book. Yeah. It's, it's not a hundred years from now. It's a hundred years from 1939. Right. And it's like nobody, know, meaning it's the history of Batman as a fictional character, but he exists in the real world of the story as well. And it's a wonderful commentary on this. And it's a mystery that's never solved is how is that possible? And that to me is a beautiful question about Batman that it's, I love that it's left unresolved, but literalized in it so that there is a man and they do call him Bruce. They don't, and you don't know if it's the grandson. It's a total spoiler. You know, if it's a grandson or if, or if he's a robot even or what he is. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. um, but there's someone called Bruce or at least that Jim Gordon calls Bruce. He might not even be named Bruce. He, you know, in real life, this person in the Batman Cal, but who is out there saving the city and doing a good job as Batman. And, and Jim says, how could there be, look, he looks different in different decades. They're like, he looks like he put on some weight over there in the eighties. And that looks like the Frank Miller one almost, you know, right. right yeah. <laughs> They're like, but look how light he is there in 1939. And, and that question of, of there always being a Batman and each one being very different it's to me a really nice tip of the hat and a celebration of the notion that you can love very, I, I think that's what it is. It's just as a writer, I love very different versions of the character. Like, you know, I love him in as a paranoid, you know, dude in Mark Wade's terror of Babel. And I also love him as an incredibly, uh, sort of, uh, uh, warmer, much warmer character in, you know, in Pete Tomasi's stuff, you know, or Grant stuff. And, mm -hmm. And that to me is just, that's one of the fun things about him is that he, he's, and Grant has said his favorite thing about Batman is that he's adaptable. And when he said that, I thought he meant like, oh, you can stick. When he first said that, I was like, oh, you know, he could be in space. He could be here. He could be there. You could put him in any situation. But, you know, I think he meant more than that now, you know, when you look at it, how adaptable he is to your own, your own desires for, for what you could for what you want a hero like him to solve as a writer, you know, what sorts of things, what fantasies he fulfills, you know, in terms of, of being a guy who can, who can stop certain kinds of injustices, whether they're, you know, horrifying and, and, and terrible in terms of, you know, villains like the scarecrow and who bring your fears to life, or if it's something more, you know, that he can, he can give you answers when in the real world, so many crimes go unsolved, you know, and, that's what I think, you know, is so wonderful about him is the different versions speak to what the writers love about that character, each one, you know, and I don't know. I just, I really adore it. You know, I hope everyone will go out and check it out. You know, it's, it's definitely to me, just, I don't know, one, one of the books I go to, to look for inspiration a lot. And it caught me off guard when I first read it. Now it's really in my canon of things that, you know, or my go-to sort of touchstones like the animated series and this and, and year one and dark Knight returns and, you know, the killing joke and, and, uh, and, uh, long Halloween dark victory and grant stuff. You know, those are the things to me that, that stick out the most, you know, the, out of everything, you know, and, and obviously, uh, 
Dark Knight Returns, I think I said. Mm-hmm. But but the animated stuff, Batman Beyond, that's really in the DNA of a lot of what we're doing too. So Cool. Yeah, man. And thanks again for letting me come on and talk about it. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, man. And that is our show. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Scott Snyder for joining us and talking about Batman Year 100 by Paul Pope. Go check out some of Scott's stuff like The Wake, Superman Unchained, and Batman Zero Year on stands now. If you want more of this, head over to ifanboy.com. You can listen to the regular Pick of the Week podcast every Sunday. If you have any questions or comments, send those along to contact at ifanboy.com. And until then, same bat time, same bat channel. See ya. Thank you.